Today's scripture is Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known upon earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, has blessed us. May God continue to bless us. Let all the ends of the earth revere him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My friends, it's a delight to be with you in worship this morning. Would you please assume a comfortable posture for reflection and prayer? Close your eyes. Take a few minutes, just moments, just to breathe in and breathe out and to feel the gift of each breath of air. Now, my friends, fill in your lungs with air. Empty them one more time completely. Breathe in the breath of God. God who makes himself known through the giving of his Son. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit, be with us now in this place and everywhere that my voice can be heard. For you and I know that without you, I can do nothing. So make your spirit reign upon here, that we may be wiser for having been in worship together, more gracious for having prayed, more loving for having been focused upon your son. It's in his name we pray and God's people together say, Amen. When I was a student thinking about ministry, I used to find prayers, historic prayers of the church, prayers by saints, prayers found in scripture, prayers by famous preachers, and I would print them out and tape them up around my dorm room thinking I could surround myself with the great cloud of witnesses in prayer. You see, I thought to myself, if ever I had need of better words than my own, I could just reach to one of my bookcases or to the wall itself or to that post-it note on the computer monitor and I could find a prayer that had better words than I could muster on my own. Now, I thought to myself I would try to be very diverse in the prayer expression of the time and I found prayers from different sorts of Christian leaders over the history of the church. I even tried to find prayers of certain celebrities. I thought, you know, if there's somebody who's got to have said a wonderful prayer out there, something that someone that my family would support me taking their words and putting them in my mouth, it must be from that old actor, Jimmy Stewart. You know Jimmy Stewart, don't you? Jimmy Stewart was a lifelong Republican. He served the armed forces during the war. He cut out part of his career. 
In my family growing up, baseball players and athletes and others who would take out time from the highest high of their career to go serve in the armed forces in that war, they were, they were people to be praised and thought highly of. Jimmy Stewart is in a movie that I watch every Christmas. Hot Dog, what's it called? It's a Wonderful Life. I don't know that he ever needed to be in another movie, as far as I can tell. That one, boy, gets me right here. And in that movie, he's a white guy in a town who does his civic duty, helps a lot of people. And it says on V-Day he wept and he prayed. And on V-E day he wept and he prayed. He went to church. It seemed like he was the image of a mainline Christian in mainline American society. He's got to have said something good. He was on Johnny Carson and he read a poem. He wrote about his dog named Bo. He had to have something. So I was Googling prayers by Jimmy Stewart. And I came across a film clip I didn't ever know existed. The film was called Shenandoah. And there's Mr. Stewart, haggard, tired, at the head of his table, a man of the earth. And he's asked to pray for dinner. I believe they called it supper. And very begrudgingly, he clasped his hands and he looked down and he said this prayer. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested it. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel. But we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. <laughs> yeah, that's not a very pious prayer. I've thought of prayers like that in my life. You know, my dad went to work. My mom went to the store, and here we are thanking God for it. But you're not supposed to pray that way, and you know that if you're a good little Midwestern boy, raised right and proper, you weren't supposed to pray that way. But I think some of that attitude may be deep in our DNA, culturally speaking. Whether we're conscious of it or unconscious of it, I think we do have a hard time sensing that God provided the meal that we're about to consume. And there's a whole lot of layers of the onion for that reason. I, I think one of the layers is that we have a, a mentality of rugged individualism in our culture. You know, step out and go achieve on your own. Do the hard work. Put your hand to your plow. You put your hand to your plow. Of course, there is the Protestant work ethic or the Puritan work ethic. Max Weber, the sociologist, made that phrase famous over a hundred and some years ago as he described the world of Protestantism. He described the, the work ethic in America as Protestant culture came from Europe and settled in America. It did so in a very puritanical way where work equals good. It wasn't a world where the Sabbath was highly thought of. I mean, we paid lip service to Sabbath, but you don't do Sabbath and play. Play could never be considered part of a spiritual practice. No, it's work, and you work hard, and if you felt like you've already worked hard, work harder still. 
And there's all the strident capitalism that's wrapped up in this that makes us feel, I think, whether we're conscious or unconscious of it, that what we have, we've come by on our own. But as the dust settles on wisdom and truth, Psalms is a book of wisdom and truth, and as the dust settles from wisdom and truth, we find once more something different. You see, you find out that we are all indebted. The psalmist talks about God's ever-present presence in their lives, smiling down upon them, providing provision for them, caring for them, looking out for them. Oh, there's the increase, the yield of the earth. God is making a way for God's people. And the deep truth is that we are all, I don't care who you are or where you're from, or if you were lucky enough to have been born into the people of God, or you were an outsider looking in, wanting to be part of the people of God, or whether you did never acknowledge God with your lips ever before, the truth remains the same for each and every one of us. We are indebted. My daughter Ruby, who's eight years old, did a bit of natural theology in the car one day. She was giggling and being a bit silly, and she said, hey, Daddy, I've got a great lesson that will teach us the meaning of life. So, yeah, teach me. She goes, you just keep asking why. And every time you ask why, you're going to get to another question, you're going to ask why again, and you go all the way back, and you'll find out what life's all about. What's it for? There's some beauty in that thinking. Now, there were some gaps that she needed to fill in her thinking, but she would think about, well, why is the sun there? This is because of that. Why does the universe look like this? It's because of this. And she kept asking the why question, and it led her to this notion of God. But it leads the other way, too. Why does it rain? It rains to fall on the land. Why does it fall on the land? To produce crops. Why does it produce crops? So animals and people can eat. And why do animals grow? Because people can eat. And it's a very anthropocentric understanding of the whole cosmos or our earthly milieu. But nevertheless, Ruby was on to something profound. We're all indebted to something or someone else for every moment of our survival. Amen? My favorite line in this text is about the earth's increase. It says, the the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, has blessed us. What is that about? Well, it's about food. It's about the fruit of the earth coming to sustain and give sustenance to the people as they need food. No matter what we do, friends, no matter how clever we become as humans, we can never account for life. What the earth yields, we can only ever assist. We cannot account for it. There was a young man I was once working with in a former ministry. We had loads of community gardens, and he wasn't really that fond of working in them, but he sat me down one day and he said, if I ever have kids, he now has two kids, if I ever have kids, I'm going to make sure that we grow a garden in our yard. And I said, well, that's interesting. Why? You you don't really enjoy the gardening that we do together. And he said, because I can never teach him in a greater way the lesson that life is always beyond us. Sure, you can pull weeds, 
to give life to a plant, and you can layer on good things on the soil. You can amend your soil. You, you can even prune a tomato plant to make it stronger. You can water it, you can give it sunlight, but no matter what you do, you cannot make life. It's always beyond you. This is a true story that I've told here before. In fact, I've published on it, but one time, my wife Colleen and her sister had a friend in from out of town and they were out at the farm. And they said, let's go make dinner. And so they left the, the kitchen to the outdoors and their friend goes, where are you going? You see, she thought they were gonna hop in the car and drive to the grocery store, but they went out to the family garden plot and they started taking shovels and hoes and she goes, what are you gonna do with these? And they said, well, we're gonna dig up potatoes. Now, conceptually, a very smart person, she knows that potatoes come from the ground, but she had never once ever, ever, ever planted nor yielded a potato from the ground on her own. Can you imagine? She looked at the ground and she began to dig and she saw these lovely, glorious potatoes. And she said this, she goes, oh, oh, how many do we need? They said, well, just take a bunch. She goes, no, 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 no. I'm not going to take more than we need. And then she said these words, this is changing my life. Yes, the psalmist is grateful for a God who makes a world where its fields can yield and increase and produce that mouths can be filled and bellies joyful. But I think the psalmist allows our logic to go a little further this morning. Might I suggest to you that we develop something I like to call a planetary theology. A planetary theology. You see, God made creation and we are part of creation. It's not humans and creation over there. It's we're all creation of God. Amen? So let's say it. We're all creation. We're all creation. And if we're all creation, and if God has given it its being, then that means all of it has something to do with theology. I like to remind people that there are three words that all share the same root word, illuminating some meaning for us. The human, humus, or dirt, humility. Humans come from the humus. We come from the dust. And knowing that fact ought to tell us how to live in this world and how ought we live? With humility. Friends, this is true. There is stardust in your veins. There is nothing that we know of in the cosmos that doesn't exist also here in this earth. And there's nothing that we know of in the cosmos that doesn't also exist in your human body. You are of a kind. You are a creation of a kind that is like other creation. All of it. All of it's from God. You are from God. All of it is a gift from God. And it's so much more than we have ever imagined. I've been studying fungi this past year. Fungi are really incredible things. They're neither plant nor animal. My mind is already blown away by that. 
They're neither plant nor animal. The largest fungus that we know of, I believe, is about 2,500 acres in the Pacific Northwest. It weighs an incredible amount that you can't even fathom the weight it weighs. Mushrooms are just the reproductive organs of fungus. Underneath the soil, fungus talks to the trees and talks to other fungus. Trees communicate through soils. They send out information that says we need nutrients, and nutrients are given in other directions. This stuff is absolutely incredible, my friends. It reminds me, it reminds me that all of this world is a yielding of God's creative energies and creative love. It's meant for something. It's meant for something. It says something. How many of you like musicals? In 1922, there was a very famous song that's come out that one of our elders in the prayer breakfast said that they thought this was one of the worst songs ever made. It goes like this. Yes, we have no bananas. We have no bananas today. Anybody ever hear that song about not having bananas? Why would there be a song about not having bananas? Well, it's this whole Coney Island song about you can have a hot dog sandwich. That's one thing a guy says. Or you can have all this other food. But, but why no bananas? Well, it's interesting. Because the common form of banana that we had in this country and in the West about 100 years ago was called the Gros Michel. It's a French word. Everything sounds beautiful in French, doesn't it, Reverend General? Gros Michel, which means the Big Mike. Doesn't it sound better in French? The Big Mike. And what was the Big Mike? The Big Mike was a meatier, thicker, more banana-y. That's, a, that's how a scientist described it. A more banana-y flavor. You ever wonder why banana Laffy Taffies and other banana fl artificial flavors don't taste like banana? It's because they were based off of the Gros Michel, not on the banana that you eat today. And, and what happened to these bananas? And why was that song produced? Well, there was banana blights. Well, in that song, it's because they were so popular. But later on in the 1950s and 60s, there was uh, banana republics that had a huge political issue down in South America, but then there was banana blights that wiped out all the Gros Michel bananas. Almost all of them. You can get a few in Miami today, but most of them are gone. You and I eat a banana called a Cavendish. Fun fact, these are all clones. If you've eaten one banana, you've eaten them all. Like, Literally, if you've had one banana, you've had them all. And botanists think that in 10 years' time, the bananas you eat will be different because the Cavendish are going to be changed because of what? More blight, guys. It was an open book quiz. Hmm. What am I talking about all this for? Because the scriptures and the psalmist, too, know this thing about us without even using the word. We are earthlings. I know we use that word when we think about like space invaders or something, but we're earthlings. That means we're of the earth. We belong to the earth. We're made from the earth. We're meant to care for the earth. We're meant to enjoy the fruit of the earth. And all of it, absolutely all of it is related and it all says something from God to us. What does it say, my friends? 
Well, if we skip forward to the book of John, the prologue of John's gospel, the writer says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In Greek, this word, word is this um, other word you've seen called logos. It makes up the concept of bite, like ology, you know, philology, all these ologies come, have that word logos in them. And logos is kind of an arrange of meaning, like um, the communication of, or the word word itself, or, or the meaning of. So I think of it this way. In the beginning was the meaning, and the meaning was from God, and the meaning was God. The meaning of God has come to us. And as Christians, we believe that the meaning of God was made most very clear to us in the person of Jesus Christ. But at the foundation of all this earth stuff that, that yields an increase, that blesses the table of ordinary people, at the basis of all of it is a seed, a communication from God, a meaning from God, a divine meaning for you and for me. Everything, even the process of life, is teeming with divine truth. Now, one fellow I wrote a lot of my dissertation on was named St. Maximus the Confessor. We named my son Maximus, and it's not an accident. St. Maximus says that the Logos, the Word, is at play in creation. Almost as if he's playing a game of hide-and-seek. And it's the job of us Christians to seek this meaning of God in the world, to see it, to taste it, smell it, to search for the meaning that is beyond what we see with our eyes. So the logos at play means that the seeds of God, or the gospel, the good news of God, is a gift. And whenever God opens up the increase of the earth, there is a gift for our sustenance. And we're going to see it here in a moment in a fresh way. As we gather around a festal table, we're going to gather with the gifts of bread and gifts of the cup, and in them is more than just stuff. It's more than just material, and it's more than just memory. We're going to eat a gift from God. It's a gift that says God has made God's own self known to you through all things, but most palpably through this gift, which is about Jesus Christ. All things find their meaning in Jesus Christ, after all. We need to develop a planetary theology and remember once again that God has made all things good, has given them for use, including ourselves, for, for good, and has shown us the most by becoming creation, by becoming us in Jesus Christ and showing us even more meaning there, which is symbolized and shown by the death on a cross as a gift for your good. Now, I have a lot of family who work in the space industry. And uh, a lot of them used to work for uh, SpaceX. They used to work for Elon Musk. Now, most of them have jumped ship to work for Blue Origin now. But whenever Elon Musk was known for very little besides PayPal and Solar City solar panels, 
My uncle got a job working with him, and he said, well, what do you think of this Elon Musk fellow? I said, well, I don't know much. Why don't you tell me about him? He goes, do you think he's brilliant? I said, well, I don't know. You have to tell me more. He goes, well, I think he's got the, the vision for life. I said, what's that? Well, he says that this world is spent. We've used it and abused it. It's all done for. Now what we need to do is send spaceships into space, and we need to colonize it. We had to colonize Mars anywhere because we we need to use that stuff from outer space right here on earth maybe even we need to go live there and I thought to myself may it never be so I thought of people like this psalmist about how much value this psalmist finds and how God smiles upon his creation how much of the gift of God's creation is here and I think to myself we have enough we have enough We're meant for this place. We're meant to care for this place. Ultimately, when you realize that everything, absolutely everything is a gift, you have to learn to act accordingly. And what is that? Gratitude. Gratitude and joy. God doesn't just meet your needs, but God surpasses them. And in your need shows you what divine love really looks like. All things find their meaning in Jesus Christ, after all. We need to develop a planetary theology and remember once again that God has made all things good, has given them for use, including ourselves, for for good, and has shown us the most by becoming creation, by becoming us in Jesus Christ and showing us even more meaning there, which is symbolized and shown by the death on a cross as a gift for your good.